0: The Charles Adler Show starts now. So I've been looking forward to this for a long, long time. Uh, Max Fawcett and I haven't shared a studio since pre-pandemic days. And I, I see him on all my friends' shows. I see him on Ryan Jesperson and elsewhere. Of course, I'm reading him all the time. National Observer and everywhere else uh, he appears. And he's one of my favorite uh, Twitter characters because he likes taking on the guys who are i guess part of the the so-called cpc base some of whom come across as people with a vocabulary of eight um uh, an iq of uh you know maybe 68 tattoo on the eye but they're really they're you know they're, they're 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 loyal to their i don't know if they're writing checks i don't know if they're getting out the visa or mastercard but they're all over twitter and then you've got these people who impersonate them and then, of course, you've got the the, the bot farms uh, that have almost uh, no followers and get a little more rude, a little more in your face. And Max Fawcett has fun with all of them. Max, welcome back to my show, this time the podcast edition. It's great to see you.
1: Well, it's great to see you and great to, I know we we talked in the past about this project and what was next for you. So I'm so glad to see it come to fruition and I'm so glad to see it. Uh, number one on the Apple podcast news category for Canada the other day, I, I saw that some people were uh, making some uh, impolite comments about how few people were following. And it turns out most, <laughs> most of the country is following. So uh, it's the, guy, great to see. the guys
0: with the, the guys with the, the tattoo on the eye. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly do they do you think they have any idea and I'm, I'm just gonna make i think a safe assumption that a lot of people that are listening to us uh, paying attention right now are people who are all over twitter know exactly what we're uh, talking about so i'll just uh, put it right to you on this for those people who say why does an intelligent guy like max get into pissing contests with with, with, with people who don't hold a candle to him? Uh, why do you punch below your weight i mean i, I I know you better than some people who are asking that question. I know you have a ball, but I want you to just give it to us in your own own words. Why do you bother with them?
1: I mean, part of it is sport. Um, Part of it is, you know, it's cold in the winter and can't go outside and, you know, play golf or anything like that. So you need a hobby. Um, You know, and part of it is, I think, I think if you're a person who knows, who has information and wants to share it with people, you have an obligation to punch, maybe not down, but punch back at at efforts to kind of muddy the waters, right? Uh, and so when I see people out there, you know, whether they're from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation or from some part of the conservative orbit, just, you know, straight up telling lies about how the carbon tax works or how climate change works or how energy policy is developed in this country, I, I feel a certain responsibility to set the record straight and give people a resource that they can use and share with with friends and relatives and whoever else uh to hopefully push back a little bit against that because you know i i wish we were still in the days when when the the media landscape was a bit more of a neutral environment where you know good information tended to get its make its way out there and right now it's a you know it's a it's a bit of a bar fight uh all the time and and one of the things that my dad who grew up in prince george taught me was if you're in a bar fight you got to fight uh and so that's that's sort of my mindset i guess
0: it's bar fight, right? Not not barf fight. Yeah, bar. bar barf, well, sometimes barf you barf, but yeah. Sometimes, sometimes both. Okay, uh, we'll get back to. Not that this is all that serious, because we're not going to adopt a too uh, sanctimonious serious tone, because we don't want to be like those those uh, those TV shows that nobody watches except a handful of people in Ottawa. We're not going to we're not going to adopt that kind of tone, that's for sure. But before we get back to anything serious at all, need to ask you this: the other day, you were admonishing uh, people who were involved, I guess, in the political uh, system who wanted to see themselves as responsible. And I think you were almost lecturing, just almost, almost lecturing them, you know, get off the Taylor Swift stuff. So give us some context here. We we know that uh, people, no matter where they are in the chattering classes or the non-chattering classes, they like to put stuff out that's going to get – You know, clicks, some people just call it clickbait. And it's impossible to put up a photo of Taylor Swift and not have a lot of people pay attention. Fact of life. Is that what the politicians and the people who follow politicians were doing? Or is there something to the idea of discussing whether or not Taylor Swift is coming to Canada?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that was... Um, I mean, look, I have a I have a so, you know, a quote unquote, Swifty in my house. I know how seriously these people take uh, her attendance uh, and they want to follow her and see her live in person. So I get that part of it. But I mean, I really think it started with a conservative MP who who put forward a motion who wanted to file a grievance because she wasn't touring in Canada. You know, I'm sure I'm sure that was aimed at um you know, sort of appealing to younger people, you know, p- politicians always want to find new ways to appeal to younger voters. Look at, you know, the NDP and their, their fascination with TikTok. So that, that's sort of par for the course in some respects, but it just feels to me lately and you know, and then the prime minister piled on with his own tweet, uh, where he was sort of imitating Taylor, the, the sort of Taylor Swift language. And I, I just, I just think it's beneath them, right? I think I think that we have a lot of serious issues that we have to deal with as a country right now. And I you know, I had a lot of people telling me, "Oh, lighten up, you know, don't take it so seriously." But I have I came into politics, you know, two decades ago believing that it was serious, believing that it was something that deserved our serious and sober attention. And so I just think there are better uses of everyone's time than trying to basically rattle your tin cup at a at a global superstar who makes decisions on where she tours, not on the basis of tweets from politicians. You know, she makes those decisions based on her own schedule, what's best for her self-interest. And, and it just looks, it looks weak. It looks frivolous. And I just really wish that our elected officials would take their jobs a tiny bit more seriously than it seems like they do. I know that their jobs are hard. I know they work hard, but bring a different sort of attitude to the table. You know, you look at the the leader of the opposition and, you know, he is always using these juvenile memes and, and uh, you know, YouTube videos and things like that. And I know that it's designed to appeal to a certain demographic, but again, it's beneath the office that he's trying to run for. And uh, you know, my, my critique is, is for all, is for all parties. They're all doing this. And I just don't think it's a good look.
0: So, Is it a good look when someone like Danielle Smith, a a premier and uh, the opposition leader, Pierre Polyev, uh, stand beside somebody looking like they fully endorse the somebody they're standing beside who's wearing a T-shirt talking about uh, straight pride? Essentially, I'm not going to I'm going to repeat all all the language. It is also juvenile, but it's it's basically um, an anti-LGBT uh, shirt. Uh, I don't want to do deep penetrating analysis on the, the, the dumb message. Uh, that's that's what it was. Uh, you can see it from a thousand miles away. Both of them stood beside him and then I guess had their, their, their mediocre spinners put out the message that they didn't, they didn't see the shirt. We all know that messages on, on t-shirts are designed to be so bold, so uh, simple, and so easy to see that unless you're drunk as a skunk or an absolute moron it's impossible to miss the message whatever i may think of danielle smith and and pierre paulia both of whom i've known in my real life uh, whatever their politics are and whatever divergences there may be i certainly don't think of them as as drunken morons so what's uh, maxwell Fawcett's uh, take on uh on on what the the t-shirt controversy and the lgbt controversy is all about in alberta and and why are these two conservative pauls so interested you know, on the one hand, pandering to the anti-LGBT crowd, and on the other hand, uh, pretending that uh, they didn't see what they saw.
1: Oh, where to start there? So I, I, you know, look, I I used to do the job of, I uh, think they, they call it basically a political body person, right? You you work with the candidate, you bring them their coffee, you make sure that nobody they don't want to talk to doesn't talk to them. It's a sort of lower rung job in the political ecosystem but it's one almost everyone does at some point and there is no earthly way that they did not know what was on this t-shirt when this person was taking a picture with her you know it's it's a little bit frustrating or or whatever to see um to see a bunch of people in the media, you know, political scientists and whatnot saying, Oh, well, it's, you know, it's so strange that her staff let her down, or it's so strange that his staff didn't do their job. And it's like, no, no, they did their job. They wanted this to happen. This is, a, this is a deliberate strategy that conservatives use to simultaneously wink to their base to let them know that, you know, I I, I got you, we're on the same page on this stuff. And then they go and they issue some half-hearted apology to the rest of us saying, "Oh, gee, I didn't see it. If I'd seen it, I certainly wouldn't have done it." Uh, you know, it's it's we've seen this so many times already. Uh, you'd think that people would would wise up to the the shtick here. But, but- with
0: Pierre Polyev, it was really obvious because they had him behind the hay bales, and it was just obvious that they had set it up. So you've got Pierre Polyev meeting the guy in the shirt before they take the shot. So it's it's not really in doubt. I I don't want to I don't want to get into this business. I, I realize that a lot of people in media. Um, have the attitude that they're not supposed to challenge anybody. They're just supposed to be, I don't know, they're just supposed to take down whatever they're saying because that's subjective. I mean, I, I find that weak, but 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 that's what they do. So, But I, I don't want to pretend that the media is so stupid that they didn't know that they were being lied to. Uh, do you object to, to my take on that? Do you think that uh, there ought to be some media elders weighing in every now and then saying, that when, it's obvi- when you're obviously being lied to by Danielle Smith, when you're obviously being lied to uh, by Pierre Polyev, um, you, you've, you've got to say something, you've got to get in their faces, you, you've got to say something like, why are you insisting on telling me something that is demonstrably untrue? Is, is that something a, a media person should be saying to either the premier or the opposition leader or both?
1: Probably not. I mean, they have to pick their spots, especially in this landscape right now where where the media is so sort of demonized by conservatives and, and so on their heels about the, you know, the bias of their coverage. And here in Alberta, you know, there was that big story um, that the CBC published around Uh, premier smith reaching out to prosecutors in a in a case uh with the coots border blockade and then cbc had to come out and apologize and retract a part of the story so they're really on their heels now so i would not recommend that they you know sort of pick their spot here and say no no this is you know you're obviously lying because there's no way to know that and there's no way to prove it i guess maybe they just sort of have to play along with the charade but you know as to the charade um there's you know it's very clear that polyev and smith are doing something here i think both of them in their personal views if you gave them truth serum they fully support lgbtq rights they're both sort of libertarian-minded people I, like I, you know polyev in a speech in french uh during the last leadership sort of uh pre-campaign indicated as much that he was fully supportive of lgbtq rights he's never said it in english i don't believe uh he certainly never said uh he's never come out forcefully and and defended uh and validated uh the perspective of of the lgbtq community so he's clearly trying to have it both ways that people in quebec know he thinks a certain way but people in perhaps alberta or the rest of canada don't know that you know i wish i wish that he would just tell people what he actually thinks Uh, i think i I don't understand why you would get into politics to not tell people what you actually think that seems incredibly um dispiriting to me but Maybe I don't have the sort of Machiavellian ruthlessness that it takes to become prime minister or premier. But, you know, they're both doing the same thing. Um, they're, they're disguising their own personal views uh, and accommodating what is, you know, a, a really objectionable perspective because they need the votes. Um, you know, I've seen I've seen lots of people on Twitter saying, oh, what's the problem with straight pride? It's no different than gay pride. Give me a break. Um, you know, nobody has ever been discriminated against because they're straight. No one's ever been beaten on because they're straight. Society has not said terrible things about you because you're straight. It is not even remotely equivalent. It's the exact same thing as the people who go on about, well, why can't I have, why can't I show white pride? It's the same as black pride. No, it's not. Again, the same thing. If you took even a cursory look at history, you would understand that these things are not neutral or equivalent. They are pernicious and, kind of a code for the thing you really want to say which is that you know the lgbtq community is bad or that black people and black people having pride is bad so you know i don't have any time for that nonsense i wish that they didn't either but as i said they need the votes
0: so i i don't tend to when people confront me with stuff like that uh, you know what's the difference between white pride and black pride and and um, and straight pride and gay pride, like I just don't because I just make the assumption. and Help me with this, because maybe I'm a bit of an snob on this, Max. But I don't believe that that comments like that are coming from an honest place. I think it's a it's it's an immature sort of propensity for a confrontation that is absolutely needless. I and I always assume that they just want me to somehow get exercised because that way they're quote. owning a lib. I mean, it's like some of the t-shirt indicated that if you uh, are born, if you exist, you exist because two straight people had had sex. And I thought to myself, of all that, I mean, uh, you know, I sometimes talk about the, the guy with the low IQ and the tattoo on the eye, but I'm thinking, what could possibly be dumber than thinking that two people who are today out, one gay, one lesbian, uh, never had sex with a member of the opposite sex i mean so i don't i don't challenge it but do, do, let me just ask you for sort of an honesty check here am am i missing something do do, do people actually believe that before people came out as as i say gay or lesbian uh, that when they had partners um, and, and they were involved in a heterosexual relationship that they were celibate i mean what 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 is that what they believe yeah i mean it's sort of
1: it defies any sort of realistic appraisal of the situation, but these, the people who take this seriously, and I think you're correct to sort of identify that a lot of it is just trolling. It's really just to get a reaction, um, to piss off the people they hate. That's, that's the game. Um, But for anyone who actually believes that, that gay people have never had biological children. I mean, it's just a fundamental lack of curiosity about the world before they were born or, or before, you know, one year ago. Uh, and there's a lot of people out there who just aren't curious. Um, and I, I think you're right. You, you can't help people like that. There's no argument that you can put forward to them that's going to change their mind. It Theirs is a commitment to not knowing stuff. And so trying to change that by helping them know things isn't going to move them. They, they like not knowing stuff. Um, I, I mean, I think one of the challenges with social media, with the current landscape that we're in, is there's all these sort of opportunities to get into arguments with people who are, who are there for the bad reasons. You know, they're there to waste your time. They're there to frustrate you. They're there to own the libs. They're there for, you know, or they're bots. They're there to, like, professionally waste your time. And you really got to choose your spots carefully, right? You got to find people, if you really want to engage in that sort of discourse, who are open to changing their mind. And that's not a big number uh i mean it never was a big number let's you know it's not like social media totally invented that reality but it's a much smaller number than it ever used to be because we're all having these arguments in public in full view of everybody and and to change your mind i think looks weak to a lot of people and you you know you you used to be able to do it in the privacy of a of a in-person conversation or a classroom or whatever it might be now you've got potentially millions of eyeballs on you all the time so you can't you can't sh- lose face by by standing down. So it just leads to these sort of endlessly repetitive and and pointless arguments. And I, I believe me, I am trying not to take that bait. Uh, I am not succeeding as much as my wife probably would like. But um, you know, every day is a is an opportunity to do better, and I'm I'm trying. You know.
0: All right. Uh, let's just uh, I guess cut to the chase here on this. Uh, this is all under the rubric of culture war. Um, isn't it true that when you're involved in a culture war on social media, uh, you'll get picked up by far more people and far more algorithms than when you're not involved in a culture war? In other words, you're you're a person who loves discussing economics, um, but isn't it true that if you're discussing economic issues, uh, you won't get as much bang for your buck, as it were, as if you're talking about uh, Taylor Swift and Danielle Smith? Uh, pretending she didn't see what she saw on someone's t-shirt.
1: A hundred percent. We we respond to the incentives that are out there for us, uh, whether we're journalists or we're entrepreneur, you know, cultural entrepreneurs. And there's lots of people on social media who are social media entrepreneurs. And, and the all of the algorithms, all of the, the, the inputs are wired in a way that rewards conflict, that rewards uh, celebrity, that rewards um amplitude uh and you know i find that the best conversations i've had on social media are usually the ones that don't have any of that you know they're uh curious exchanges of information or perspectives where you can disagree with somebody you come from it from a certain place but you can actually learn and 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 you know be respectful and the algorithm hates that hates it um because no one, no one's gonna quote tweet it and retweet it and go, oh my God, look at this, this is crazy. What did they do? You know, it's just, uh, it doesn't work for it. And I am painfully aware of the way in which social media is rewiring my brain every day. Uh, you know, I used to be able to read long form fiction very easily. I used to love reading books. And now it's like pulling teeth uh, because, you know, been on Twitter, been on, been doing this for so long that my brain just reacts differently to that that sort of stimulus now and so we're all part of this experiment um that of course companies like meta and google are are profiting uh handsomely from uh but you know i I think all we can do when we're in these spaces is just try to be aware of what the spaces are trying to do to us they're not neutral
0: so When we're talking about Facebook, when we're talking about uh, Google, uh, when we're talking about uh, Twitter, help us understand, for those of us who don't understand what algorithms are, when Max Fawcett, who studies this stuff virtually 24-7 because he just doesn't have the attention span for Ulysses anymore, James Joyce is, is, is in the past, Shakespeare is in the past, can't even watch a, a, a great a three-hour movie, especially the kind with subtitles, can't do that anymore because, of, because your brain's been rewired. What is an algorithm and why does an algorithm reward garbage?
1: I mean, in fairness, Joyce was always a slog, but but yes, everything else <laughs> everything else you said there is correct. Um, I mean an algorithm is is basically a, a rubric that has been programmed into a social media site that that learns from your behavior and rewards and and feeds what it thinks you want right So you know with Twitter, it used to be that the, the the thread your your feed was just who you followed, and their and their stuff would come up in chronological order. So if I posted a tweet on politics at 2 p.m. and then Charles Adler posted a tweet on uh, something happening in Europe at 2:15, they would show up in that order. And what Twitter what Twitter has done. Meta Meta is entirely algorithmic at this point.
0: Um, Meta, just so people understand, totally. Meta is uh, Facebook. Meta is fa- Facebook. Yeah. Go ahead, it, it, Sorry,
1: that, that was how it rebranded itself yeah. uh, a few years ago. There's a whole yeah. other story there, but so there, Facebook. There's no there's no chronological order. It it shows you what the algorithm thinks you want to see, and the algorithm is, you know, this sort of bundle of code and and machine learning, that tries to optimize for basically the outcomes it wants, which is you staying on the site and using it as long as possible. Therefore, they can sell more advertising, et cetera, et cetera. So the algorithm tends to serve up things like conflict, like um, disagreement. So you know, it's fu- you'll see people complaining on Twitter that you know, why is so-and-so's tweets in my feed? I thought I blocked that person or I thought I got rid of that. I don't follow that person. Why do I keep seeing them? It's because the algorithm thinks that you're going to react. Not necessarily react positively, you might react very negatively, but it wants a reaction. The worst thing for an algorithm is that you get bored and leave the site, right? It wants to keep you there. So the algorithms are very smart. They they know what provokes uh, conflict. They know what provokes engagement. Uh, the problem is that, you know, that the things that do that are not necessarily socially beneficial or even socially neutral. You look at YouTube, for example, You and this has been well-documented in conjunction with you know extremists uh you know school shootings things like that where if you're on youtube and you watch a video about world war ii because you're curious about it it'll serve you up another video that pushes you in a bit of a different further direction you know or maybe you want to learn about nazism oh you watch that well let's serve you something even more far right and it pulls people into these what are called youtube rabbit holes where they become radicalized by the content the algorithm serves up because the algorithm wants to keep them on the site and, you know, it's it's it can be very dangerous stuff.
0: Now, is, is that what rewires your brain, uh, Max? Is that what makes it difficult for you to read a Shakespeare or, or anybody else that you, you used to read in the days uh, before the iPhone? Uh, that because you're used to, you know, neo-Nazism coming at you, uh, words like, um, you know, pedophile and groomer and all the stuff that we're seeing uh, these days on social media uh, that is uh, being served up by the algorithms is just experiencing all of that extreme nonsense is that what rewires your brain and lowers your attention span takes it right down to the ankles.
1: I think that's what can radicalize people. I think what what kills your attention span is the dopamine hit of likes and retweets and shares. You know, someone explained to me, you know, they were in the world of of social media and sort of the the coding and programming of it. He said, "Look, we design these things. So they're like video games, right? There's the, the sounds they make, the, the way they reward, uh, you know, you know, your likes, you get a bunch of likes on a tweet. It feels like you've won, you know, you've done, you've got a high score. It's all sort of this like video gamification of social interaction. And so to go from saying a thing and then being rewarded for it to just reading a book that doesn't, do anything like the book doesn't reward you. It doesn't make sounds. It doesn't, you know, uh, tap you on the shoulder and say you read that page really, really well. Uh, it, it, your brain doesn't like it, right? It's sort of like the the mouse in the cage experiments where, you know, they get a little dopamine hit from uh, from doing the right thing and and they keep doing that thing more and more. We're we're, we're being sort of programmed by these by these algorithms and these these technologies to behave the way they want us to. And, and look, I love books. I still have, my house is still full of books, although they're ones I used to read. Uh, maybe I will again in the future, but they don't have that capacity. They can't, they can only reward us in making us smarter knowing new things and all that stuff that used to be really important. And, you know, for, for better or worse, definitely worse, uh, you know, is less relevant, I think in this day and age.
0: So you've got an exercise machine behind you. And if you ever decide to sell that house, Max, I would say keep keep it there. People really relate to, to that, whether they like to get on or not. It, it's cool. But if you've got a room that's just a, a library, you know, like a couple of hundred books, I'm not saying burn the books. I'm not a neo-Nazi. Don't burn the books, but put the books somewhere else when you're staging the house. Because apparently a lot of people who are looking for homes these days, they, just, they can relate to the exercise bikes. They can relate to a lot of stuff. They cannot, they cannot relate to a library. They haven't been in a library in some cases ever. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, it's totally the thing that marks one of the things. I
1: mean, I also l- like trees and I, and I watch birds now. So it's, it's one of the things that marks me as an older individual, but like, I, lo- I just love looking at my old books. Cause I remember reading them. Uh, and I, you know, I, I, I think of them as like an insurance policy. Like if the internet falls apart and who knows, it could fall apart tomorrow. I don't know how it works. Um, always have my books. I can go back to reading them and, you know, they'll be there for me. If there's an, you know, if, if society falls apart, I got something to do. Um, so they're a good insurance policy, but you're right. You know, if you grow up in an age with social media, um, a book seems like a very, it's sort of like a, a mechanical typewriter. You know, it's like, what is that thing? What does it do? Um, you know, I have a two-year-old son and I hope he reads books, but it's going to be an uphill slog. Uh, I know that.
0: So Max, we're talking to you in Calgary and you're not wearing your hat. <laughs> so, well, what's up with that?
1: Oh, I, I'm a, I'm one of those stampede scofflaws. I, I, I have never worn a cowboy hat. Uh, and I never, I don't think I ever will. Um, I, I look, I was raised, my grandfather was very clear about not putting on airs and not pretending to be something you weren't. He He grew up on a farm in Alberta and he never wore a cowboy hat um, so I think that just is sort of in my blood. Um, but you'd be surprised at, at how many of us there are here in Calgary. And, um, you know, I, I, I venture out when I have to, but, but stampede tends to be a, a good opportunity to stay inside and, uh, you know, look at my books or, or maybe play some golf. But, uh, yeah, I, I try to steer clear of the, the dog and pony show.
0: You're not wearing a hat. You're not posing beside any people wearing a Weird church you're not doing any of that help me out with this uh, why and I, I've lived in Calgary three times so I don't want to pretend that uh, I don't know anything about about Calgary I, I just I, I just had a hard time uh, it's not that I didn't attend a stampede I just had a hard time doing all the things that some people insisted on doing you know wearing the hat wearing the shit kickers wearing the jeans you know pretending they were cowboys I've got a lot of respect for real cowboys I spent time with real cowboys and I I would just feel like a a moron pretending uh, that I was one of them but I guess it's a tradition some people get into it and and some people do not when 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 the regular when regular folks do it, it 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 doesn't really bother me a lot but here's what does bother me a lot of prominent people not just premiers but you know everybody running for council everyone running for dog catcher wants to pretend they're a cowboy there's nothing that looks phonier in the case of most of them very very few of them look good in the cowboy gear if 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 everyone knows it's phony why do they keep on doing it
1: because nobody has the courage to say what you just said out loud. Um, it's e- and it's because it's easier to go along with the flow than than rock the boat. I mean, if you're look, if you're Justin Trudeau, you're already hated enough. Do you really need to add to that by telling people that they're all a bunch of phonies? Um, same, you know, if you're Jugmeet Singh, like same thing. Do you really want to get yelled at by a bunch of people? Just put put the gear on and and suffer through it. And if you're Pierre Polyev, I don't think you have the courage to to. Say that yeah, maybe he likes it. Who knows? Uh, Although, you know, you notice the photos from him this year. You you could actually see the creases on his shirt where the shirt came out of the box or the wrapping. So uh, it's not like it was one of his old his old favorites. You know, like I don't get too worked up about the the cosplay because you know I think things like Comic Con where people dress up like Star Wars characters and like that's great if if it makes you feel good and have fun and get a kick out of it, fill your boots. Um, and so the same thing with Stampede, if people get a rise out of dressing up in, the, in their cowboy best and, and partying, like great. I mean, you're not hurting anybody, so have as much fun as you can. Um, the phoniness is off-putting, but you know, as someone who lives in Calgary, it is nice to have all of the federal party leaders out here, or, or as many of them as possible, uh, because we don't get that very often um so you know that that part is nice and I, I will say in fairness to stampede when i came here in 2010 there was a lot of parts of the culture that were really bad you know really sexist really racist you know there was like the the indian village uh which was like you would have people come and like dress up in uh indigenous uh sort of you know clothing and it was like very bad it was in very poor taste and they've cleaned a lot of that up they've cleaned a lot of the sort of toxic elements of it up there's still you know, a bit of a party culture but there's also a party culture around sports teams so i don't think that's unique to this and, and and they do a lot of good things in terms of fundraising and and you know all the rest of it so i you know i i don't dislike the stampede i wish the politicians would just be themselves you know um and and still come here and and tell talk to people i think that's the good part um but you know in the grand scheme of things if 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 that's what they feel like they have to do uh you know there are bigger problems uh than them wearing cowboy clothes and i will say that one of the funny things living here over the last few years has been watching conservatives just go crazy uh over the fact that trudeau looks the most
0: authentic uh <laughs> like he actually looks good in his clothes well, and trudeau, i mean why can't we just say what we have to say Trudeau is like right out of Hollywood casting. If Trudeau wanted to be an actor, he could. And competing with a guy who obviously looks like a a rock star, obviously looks like a movie star, why why bother trying to compete? Well, and, and you know, and the funny thing is, so Paulie, this time around,
1: you know, the the first couple times, you know, he, or the first time as leader, he he really looked like he just bought his clothes. The, like five minutes before he went on stage. And this time, like he had like a black t-shirt and a black hat and he had some aviators and people were like, oh, what's he trying to do? And I, th- I thought he looks good. Like he looks kind of cool. Uh, he's not Trudeau level, but guy looks good. He's having a good time, you know, like who who cares? Why do you have to... Why does there have to be this big fashion critique of of the leaders and and this sort of litmus testing of who's most authentic? None of them are authentic. None of them are cowboys. Newsflash, they're all nerds. They're all politicians. Let's just, you know, get on with our days.
0: Max, with all due respect, as we like to say in Canada, to all of the communities that have lived in Canada and all the communities that live in the States, uh, there is no part of the world that is more interesting to me, and I know I'm not the only one, uh, for politics than Alberta. But you're in you're Albertan, Albertan now. I've been in Alberta in three different times, but you have been there now for the past decade. You're the guest. I need to ask you, if politics wasn't interesting in Alberta, would you be there? And why is it that Alberta is the most interesting place for politics for Max Fawcett?
1: Oh, God, no. I would never be here if it wasn't the way it is. When I moved here, uh, that was one of my big sort of uh, trepidations was it's so boring politically. It's only ever elected conservatives in my lifetime. Provincially, it basically only elects conservatives federally. I'm used to living in places where it's a toss up, where it's it's interesting. And then, of course, everything changed. Uh, we had the NDP winning. We had... um you know we had uh the UCP coming along and splintering and daniel smith and it's just been one sort of thing after another and ap- i apologize that's my son upstairs he's cranky uh he got up from his nap early um and so you know what what is interesting to me is this is the front lines of the biggest conversation in our country right now which is the energy transition how fast is it going to come what impact is it going to have on our country and how do we manage it most effectively? And where else would I, would I rather be than at the very, very front line of the most interesting conversation in the country? Uh, you know, when you're talking about it from Ottawa, talking about it from Toronto, it's not the same thing. Um, the choices that are made here are going to define a lot of things about our prosperity over the next 10 to 20 years. And so, uh, you know, it's not going to get any less interesting in the years to come. Um, You know, it really, really is just going to get more and more um, complicated and fraught and interesting. And, and I can't, you know, not just because of the housing market, but I really can't see myself going anywhere else anytime soon.
0: So why is it that Alberta has the most interesting political characters? As you say, uh, they're generally all conservative, but even the conservatives are eating their own all of the time. I, I, I've lost track of the the amount of conservatives that have been thrown out by the various conservative parties simply, you know, in the last in the last fifteen years. What is it about Alberta? What is it about the environment there that creates the characters? And more important, what is it about the public uh, that they tolerate people? as 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 premiers, they tolerate people in political leadership the kind of folks that they wouldn't want to work for in real life. The character's just a a euphemism for what they are
1: yeah it's a very it's an interesting sort of conundrum where um you know the conservative politicians out here talk endlessly about sort of the virtues of the public and the people and the voters and their base and um they really kind of make this great character out of them and then almost inevitably that character drives them from office or uh you know causes them no end of heartache and headache and and you know i i, I think there's this kind of perpetual dissatisfaction um in some respects here uh you know it, a lot of it really is a is a creature of basically the last 15 10 years where where oil prices have suddenly um kind of fallen on their head and and people feel uncertain about the future and they want someone to blame part of it is you know, conservatives keep bringing back people from Ottawa and thinking that they understand how Alberta works. And, you know, we saw this with Jim Prentice, the late Jim Prentice, bless his heart, wonderful man, but didn't really have a great sense of the pulse of Alberta because, you know, he had only ever really run federally and running federally in Alberta, especially in Calgary, is one of the easiest things to do on earth. Uh, You know, you could nominate a a ham sandwich and it would probably win. Um, And so they didn't really have any have the full sense of how hard it was to govern the entire province jason canning obviously ran into that with covid he learned very quickly that what Alberta, you know what rural alberta wants and what urban alberta wants are very different things they're hard to reconcile and he sort of painted himself into a, a particularly deep corner because he portrayed himself as this rural man of the people when as you and i both know like he's one of the most erudite sophisticated cosmopolitan people that's ever been in Canadian politics. I mean, the man, uh, say what you will about his politics, but he 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 is a Laurentian elite to his core. Um, you know, he likes the finer things in life. He likes to listen to classical music. This is not a man of the people, and there's nothing wrong with that. But he pretended to be something he wasn't, and that came uh, very quickly home to roost for him. And And I think Daniel Smith, in some respects, is going to encounter... A similar challenge where she has sold one part of the province a very specific bill of goods and has to kind of reconcile that with the reality of governing places like calgary and edmonton where that bill of goods does not fly
0: you know it's interesting uh, jason Kenney and i as you know we're not just friends we were close friends for a number of years before we had the fallout uh, not during this past uh, campaign of course because he wasn't running but the, the previous campaign i don't want to uh, rehash all of that people can read all about it if they want just uh, Uh, Google Adler Kenny and you'll find out. But in the days when we were friends, we'd go to restaurants. And I remember one night we're in a Japanese restaurant and I'm eating my sushi with a fork. And uh, Kenny at the time was the, I guess, the immigration minister and multiculturalism minister. And he says to me, "Uh, Chuck, don't you know that you're with the multiculturalism minister tonight? I said, yeah. I said, "I, I know what you do for a living and I know what I do for a living. And, uh, and and you know it's a free country and meeting uh, eating with my traditional Western silverware what what is your problem? And Jason says to me, excuse me, I should say Mr. Kenny says, but we we're friends that Jason says um, I'm personally offended. I just said, "Blow it out your blowhole, man." I <laughs> I don't care if you're offended. I'm in a free country. Uh, yeah, I know how to eat with chopsticks if I if I if I want to, and maybe maybe if I were with the you know prime minister of Japan or something, and certainly if I were in Japan, I'd eat with a chop. But I mean, you know, whatever. And and it just it just it just blew my mind that this guy, you know, fast forward a couple of years later, and he's wearing the the jeans and the shit kickers and driving around. In other words, he's he's doing all the kinds of things that he wouldn't be caught dead doing when he was a federal minister thinking that he was on the fast track to being prime minister. And what, I had the same reaction that I sometimes have to politicians doing the stampede. I think, oh my God. like. People in Calgary know that, and people at Edmonton know, people in Alberta know that you're not a rural guy. They know that you're, as, as you say, Max, Laurentian elite, uh, kind of an Eastern bastard. Um, why are you Why are you doing this? I, I Now, I, by the way, I, I guess he did the right things for himself politically because he, he wedded the two uh, parties, basically eliminated the, the, the PCs. It just became one big wild rose party, and he did win the election. But do you honestly think that he had to do all of those things, the, the, the blue truck and the, the shit kickers. And the, it, it, and, and, you know, and he also started developing a twang, which uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying it personally offended me, but it really did turn me off. He doesn't speak with a twang. Um, get her. We're, we're going to get her done. We're going to get her done. You know, he's doing that stuff. Um, kind of like a, a really bad country disc jockey all of a sudden uh, wants to pretend that he's from Oklahoma, even though he's from Lloyd Minster. So I just need to ask you this: In light of just looking at all of this in the rearview mirror, do you think Jason Kenney would have been unelectable uh, had he not uh, been just as, as phony as a as a two-dollar bill?
1: I mean, hindsight is is twenty
0: twenty, and all that, and you never you
1: know you never know how things would unfold in a in a different uh, scenario. But I think, it, to me, I think it's pretty clear that he probably could have won. With just the PC banner with him leading the PCs, it obviously would have been much closer. Maybe the NDP would have been able to split the right again, although I, I really don't think to, think so after the, the four years in government that they had. But let's say he had won with a you know uh, uh, either a minority that was supported by the Wild Rose or a, sort of a small majority. Imagine how much easier it would have been to deal with COVID. For his from his perspective he would well, not that, have that's ha-
0: that's where i'm coming sorry that, that's where i'm coming from max i think that if he had not done the, the if he had not wrapped himself in plastic he wouldn't have created this bizarre expectation of of people in rural alberta that he was one of them get her done
1: yeah he would have he would have had the 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 ability to govern the way i think in his heart he probably wanted to which was still to To sort of lean towards more freedom, more choice, all that stuff, which is sort of traditional bedrock conservatism, but also listen to scientists, listen to experts and and when things needed to be to be done to do them. and And, yeah, I think it would have been much easier to govern without that rural part in his caucus. And I think Daniel Smith is going to learn the exact same lesson at some point that. You know, you 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 live by the rural caucus, you die by the rural caucus. And, and it just really, to me, it's a question of how long it takes before that happens. And there's a lesson in that for Pierre Polyev, I think, you know, he's sort of doing the same thing at the federal level. It's not a rural caucus, but it's a you know, it's the PPC part of his of his coalition that he he's constantly bending over backwards to keep in the fold. And I remain unconvinced that it's worth the sacrifices that he's making in in parts of the GTA parts of greater Vancouver, where, you know, the things he's saying and doing are really offboarding to the kind of voters that he needs to win. And, you know, again, maybe his, his path would look a little different, but I think it would be a little more comfortable for him because again, he is pretending to be something he's not. Uh, he is not actually, um, this sort of far right, um, you know, uh, Bitcoin loving, uh, hates government, all that stuff. Like, you know, he's a guy who is pretty progressive on, on immigration. He's progressive on, like I said, LGBTQ rights. Um, but he can't say any of those things because it'll upset the voters he needs to keep, uh, in his fold. So yeah, I think authenticity is always a good policy for politicians. And I, I don't understand why that's not, um, more obvious, to, especially to conservatives, because you look at Donald Trump And what was the lesson there? You know, the lesson above all to me was, you know, other than be a, a billionaire and and lie, cheat, and steal, which you know perhaps are not the lessons, but be your authentic self. And you could the thing you can say about Donald Trump, among anything else, is he was always honest about what he actually thought and said. He did not pretend to be a moderate. He did not pretend to be anything that he wasn't. He was like, here I am. If you like me, great. If you don't, you're my enemy. And and people responded to it. They liked that candor because it was so unusual in politics where everyone is pretending to varying degrees to be something they're not. And, you know, I think there's a positive lesson in in his terrible negative example uh, for all politicians, but especially conservatives. And it's just one they don't seem to want to learn here.
0: Max, uh, generally in these podcasts, i like to deliver on, on the promise that I make uh, to the audience and that's uh, to ask the odd uncomfortable questions so I always preface it so that you know that this is is coming at you and you can choose to do it or not to do it except if you don't answer then you'll make me look like a liar because I always tell the audience we only book we only book guests who who are okay with answering uncomfortable questions so here here it is uh, for you why do you think that your writing became a lot better and why did you become a, a lot ballsier in, in social media and conversations like this after your dad passed? Hmm,
1: That is a good question. Um, I mean, I, I, on some level feel like I have a responsibility to uphold some of his values um, and his, and his uh, sort of spiritual characteristics. I mean, my dad was always the kind of person who didn't really mind mixing it up with people sometimes to his detriment, but, you know you're you're cut from the cloth that you're cut from um and he was always very clear that you should always tell people the truth even if they don't like it um again sometimes to his detriment so i i think i do feel like i have a responsibility to carry that forward you know with my son and with my work um, and yeah to me you know not 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 to get all kind of airy fairy or anything but maybe you know some of him is is suddenly now sort of in me and my work and, and my presence in these things. It was funny when he was alive, I remember trying to explain Twitter to him because he didn't understand it. He, he was like, why are you wasting all your time on this? And I sort of said to him, look, not, you know, not to be rude, but if, if you were like 20 years younger, you would be all over Twitter because you get a chance to yell at strangers all day long. Like it, it's, it's everything you've ever dreamed of. You know, you get to pick fights with people on any subject you want and they'll engage. and And he used to love doing that. So, Uh, you know, I kind of feel like that's an area where, you know, I'm kind of, like I said, carrying his spirit with me and, um, you know, that in fantasy baseball, which is a whole other cup of tea, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's one explanation for it. The other one is, you know, the timing of his passing kind of overlapped with the birth of my son. And, you know, one of the things you discover as a parent, as everyone with kids understands is that you don't have as much free time. You have to be kind of ruthless with the time that you do have as a writer or, or any job that you have. And so I think it just sort of clarified my sense of purpose and my sense of time management. Uh, now, again, I still spend far too much time on Twitter for my own good, but uh, I I try to be smarter about it and I try to be a little more deliberate about it than I used to.
0: Do you tweet when you're on your exercise bike? <laughs>
1: that's a that's a trick question because I'm never on my exercise bike but uh <laughs> when i was when I used to be on it uh I was doing i mean we were doing it was doing peloton and you know you have the instructors yelling at you on it so it's hard to kind of multitask but uh look if there's a place that I can do one thing and then do twitter at at the same time I'm usually doing it uh uh which you know again you try to you try to be careful about it but uh it's uh, you know it, it's an addiction and i I'm not shy about acknowledging that, that like absolutely, like a lot of people, like a lot of quote unquote power users, as they call us, uh, a little bit addicted to all the dopamine hits it gives you. And and I'm actively in my life trying to find sort of more organic substitutes for that, Uh, not just because Elon seems determined to blow the entire thing up, but because I I can recognize that uh, it is not the world's healthiest way to live.
0: Max, I'm really sorry that I never had the pleasure of of meeting your dad and having a a beer with him or or a cup of coffee or a steak or anything, Uh, but uh, I'm very, very confident based on everything that I've read in your your many writings about him uh, that you've got some of the best of you in him and even better news, I'm confident that your son has some of the best of of your dad. What's your your take just based on what you see in your son's personality right now? Does he remind you of, of your pa at all?
1: Well, I mean, I'd say the willfulness, but but it comes from all four sides of of his of his family tree. They're all willful, so I'm not sure my dad gets full credit for that. We'll we'll see when we start exposing him to baseball more if that takes naturally. Then that's a good sign that my dad's rattling around in there somewhere. Um, but you know, it, it's funny with kids; the older they get, the more their unique personality starts to show through. And so, uh, you know, I see parts of me in him. I see parts of my wife in him, um, and I see parts of my dad in him. But honestly the 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 bigger connection for me is is it reminds it reminds me of my own childhood uh being around him and getting to do all the things that i do with him as a dad kind of puts me back in the mindset of being a kid again and so it sort of brings my dad back to life in a weird way uh he's sort of always present whenever i'm doing something with him which is really is really nice um you know of, of all the good things about having a kid and and look i was very skeptical about having children right up until the moment it happened. But uh, one of the very good things is, is it's this constant sort of access point to memories that I have of my dad. And uh, you know, it's a blessing. So
0: Max, thank you so much for rattling around with us uh, here on the podcast. And we've got to do this again. Thank you so much and good luck to you and everything you do at the national observer. And of course your own podcast. And of course, with your, with your, with your wife, and son, the son you never thought you'd have, but uh, I have uh, no doubt uh, that of all the things that you're proud of, including your relationship with your your father and your relationship with the media and your relationship with Twitter, I have zero doubt that the relationship you're most proud of is one that you have with your, your child.
1: Yeah, it is 100%. And, and look, you know, just, just like he's the son I never thought I'd have. I kind of feel like you're the uncle I never thought I'd have. So, you know, I'm uh, glad to be on your show here. I I think it's a wonderful success, like I said. And and, uh, to hell with the haters. Uh, You'll keep proving them wrong.
0: I'm damn proud to be Max Fawcett's Uncle Chuck. Thank you so much. (laughs) That's the podcast that you can subscribe to. You do subscribe in many cases, but uh, you may just be surfing. Uh, Please uh, subscribe. You can do it on any of the platforms that you're used to. uh, Tell your your friends and neighbors. And uh, the promise is that you will have podcasts with certain questions that are a little uncomfortable. Uh, questions about aspects of of life, aspects of politics, aspects of culture that are a little bit different. But most important, you'll get guests like Max Fawcett, who are not just intelligent, not just have a great sense of humor, not just have great empathy, but have the capacity to tell a story and to answer uncomfortable questions honestly. They don't just say, well, that's a good question, Chuck, and then they move on. No, they answer the question whether they, they like it or not. I love having you here. I want to thank everyone who has made us number one in several uh, categories of podcasting. I'm not going to list them all here because it'll, it'll, it'll seem like bragging. I know that some people who are friends of mine in the States say, Chuck, it's not bragging if you can do it. I just want to thank everyone uh, who has helped us. We've only been on for a week, uh, har- hard to believe uh, that uh, people would give us this kind of status in the, in the podcast ecosystem after just one week, but I can't thank you enough. My name is Charles Adler. That's the truth. Some of the truth is uncomfortable, but it's still the truth. Thank you very much. Catch Charles Adler Mondays on Real Talk with Ryan Jesperson. Twice a week in the Winnipeg Free Press. And every day at choirmedia.co.